So the, the lesson idea that my wife gives me, uh, she happens to bail on me the night that I'm talking on it. I don't know what to think about that, but John Mark wasn't feeling too good, so she decided to stay home with him, so that's, that's all right. But uh, this is a subject I've been considering for some time now and trying to wrap my mind on the best way to present it after the idea was, was given to me. And that song, I hope, sets our mind for the course of our study this evening. And that song conveys with it the idea that we have all these great blessings. We have all these things that we have been given by God. So how can we cease from singing? How can I go about my life every single day and not be happy and not be joyful? How can I not express my joy and my appreciation to my God for all that he has given me? The song that we sing is a, a modernized version of the song that gave me the inspiration for this talk. Uh, it was composed by Chris, uh, Chris Tomlin in 2006, I believe, but the original song uh, comes from Robert Wadsworth Lowry in 1860, and I'll read the verses from this song to set the, set the stage for the study, but he says, My life flows on in endless song, above earth's lamentation. I hear the sweet though far off hymn that hails a new creation. Through all the tumult and the strife, I hear the music ringing. It finds an echo in my soul. How can I keep from singing? What though my joys and comforts die, the Lord my Savior liveth. What though the darkness gather round, songs in the night he giveth. No storm can shake my inmost calm, while to that refuge clinging. Since Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? I lift my eyes, the cloud grows thin. I see the blue above it. And day by day this pathway smooths since first I learned to love it. The peace of Christ makes fresh my heart, a fountain ever springing. All things are mine since I am his. How can I keep from singing? You know, for the Christian, that's a legitimate question for you and I to ask ourselves. How can we keep from expressing our joy and our adoration and our love for our God for all that he has done for us? How can we take anything into this life into, a, into account to stack up to the blessings that God has given to you and I? All too often, I can offer a laundry list of reasons not to sing. From my worldly perspective, I can offer those reasons. They're not good reasons, but all too often, that's the stance that I take, and I'm sure we've been in that position before. Consider the second stanza of the song, What though my joys and comforts die, the Lord my Savior liveth. How do we get to that point where we can say that even though every joy and every comfort that's been given to me has been taken away, I know that my Savior lives, and I can take comfort in that. I can be happy and I can be joyful because I have that. What though the darkness gather around, songs in the night he gives. Even when all the calamities of our life surround us, still at the end of the day, we can sing a song of praise to our God. How do we get to that point? No storm can shake my inmost calm while to that refuge clinging, since Christ is Lord of heaven and earth. How can I keep from singing? So our Lord has conquered death, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. And if we are found in him when this life is over, we have the guarantee and the blessing of being with him forever in his eternal kingdom in heaven that he has prepared for you and I. So we think about all those things and all the things that might cloud our life or cloud our minds in this life when it comes to being happy and being joyful in the Lord. And I'd like for us to consider how we can get a little bit better every day towards having this mindset. 
living every day with that question, how can I keep from singing? How can I keep from praising God with all that he has given to me? And if you're here and if you've considered these things and you're looking at that, that title and what we've talked about so far and you're thinking we're about to have a deep dive into the human psyche about how these things work, I, I promise you I am not your guy. These are just some simple truths that I've studied out and that I think have helped me conquer this or, or get a better handle on this thing as far as it is with my life. The first thing I'd like for us to consider is that maybe the reason we can't sing that song with that understanding and we can't find the joy in those things is maybe we aren't as spiritually focused as we would like to believe. 1 Corinthians 2 and 14 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And then Matthew 6 and 21 says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, this is a simple truth that we're taught from a fairly young age. You know, if we put our treasure in earth and things, you know, that's going to pass away. That's where our heart will be. And if we put our treasure in earth and things, we're not going to find any joy in that. But all too often, I think I find myself with the blinders on, not realizing just how natural of a person I might be. And I need to take a step back and, and look at my life and realize that I might be a little bit more natural than I am spiritual. And those things that are spiritual might be foolish to me because I'm taking too much of a natural stance in my life. You see, the natural person seeks pleasure and seeks joy in those things, in the natural and in the carnal. And they're blind to the obvious and plentiful blessings that come from God and that are found in Christ. So maybe that's the reason why we can't sing that song with that kind of understanding, is maybe we have the blinders up and we, are, we don't know about those spiritual blessings that we have because we're too focused on the physical and we're a little bit more natural than we'd like to admit. Maybe we're trying to fill a spiritual void with physical things. Maybe we're trying to medicate a spiritual problem with physical medicine. But when we strive to become the spiritual man whose treasure is in heaven and not on earth, that treasure will bring us joy. You know, you think of all the people in history, whether it's explorers or, um, you know, people of business or people who search after earth and riches, you name me one of them who's gotten to the end of that road and says that this was enough. This was enough to make me happy. This was enough to keep me going for the rest of my life, singing the song that I am joyful and that I'm always happy. No, they always needed more because their focus was on earth and things and not on the spiritual blessings that last forever. And the truth is, is that the riches at the end of God's road will never disappoint. They bring that joy no matter what. But if we're the natural man, then those spiritual blessings are foolishness to us. We don't understand how much of a great thing they are to us. Maybe that's not where our treasure is. Maybe it's not in the spiritual things. But if we admit that, then it can be. Our treasure can be in those things. You know, I'd like for us to consider for just a moment just how deep the roots of this problem are that we have of, of finding too much joy in the physical and in the temporal and not in the spiritual. And, and to illustrate that, you know, you think about how deep roots are. Uh, yesterday, me and Evan were working in the in the front yard in the flower bed and she wanted me to, to dig up some, some roots of some different plants. She bought a shovel uh, at the store while I was getting some stuff done in, in the yard and she brought it to me and said, you know, this actually has a warranty on it. Shovels, warranty, who, who, who would have thought? But guess what? I found out a good use for that warranty that day because the, de the, the roots are so deep for that plant that I snapped the handle off whenever I was trying to get a certain plant pulled up. So I'm, I may be the only guy that you know that's ever used the limited warranty on a shovel to replace it. But you think about how deep the roots are of this problem in our life, it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of effort to pull those things up 
In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we can read about the root of this problem. And God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. So God creates man in the beginning. And then skipping down to verse 28, he says, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion. And he goes on to say all the things that man will have dominion over, all the blessings that God would give man in the beginning. Skip down to verse 29, he says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree in which the fruit of the tree yielding seed to you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth, and every fowl of the air, and to every thing that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. So God, in the very beginning, we have no shortage of blessings from him. We have dominion over everything. But of all those things, do you know what the greatest blessing we had was? We were in the very presence of God. In the beginning, we read about that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, after the fall, where it says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I don't know if you ever think about this, but I think about it from time to time, and, and it, it never ceases to put me in a state of awe to think of what it must have been like to wake up, to go to bed, and to tend the garden that God had given me, and to wake up and, and to see my God walking in the garden to be in the very presence of him every day. And then we, we threw that away because of the sin that we committed. So God gave man all that, but the greatest blessing that they had was being in the very presence of God. And I want you to really focus on that, that that's what they had was their greatest blessing, that they were in the very presence of God. But something physical appealed to the nature of man and caused all those blessings to go away. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Ye hath, Yea, hath God not said that ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And their eyes were opened, as you know, and not in a good way. They were opened in the, oh no, what, what have I done way. But look at what occurred here. The serpent appeals to man's carnal, physical, natural nature. He dangles that natural blessing, that, that blessing that the natural man wants to go after, that natural thing that we think will bring us joy. He dangles that in front of them and tempts them with that. And what he's basically saying, or he says to them, you know, eat this and you will gain so much, you will be as gods. And without saying it, what he's saying is, you know, don't pay attention to the fact that God is in your midst. Don't pay attention to the fact that you live in a perfect world and you have dominion over all of it and God has given that to you. Don't pay attention to anything that God has given you because you can have more and I can give that to you. Take that and apply it today. Satan is still whispering in your ear and in mine and tempting us and our fruit is no more complicated today than it was 6,000 years ago. What Satan says is says, he says, don't pay attention to the blessings that you have as a Christian. Don't think about how your soul is secure in the arms of God. Don't consider that you have a complete revelation before you to read at your heart's desire. Don't ponder the rich blessings of a Christian family that can be everything to you. 
Don't seek deeper relationships with your fellow Christians. Don't worry about fellowship. Don't focus on those spiritual blessings. What he says and what the world tempts us with is instead, think about what the world can offer you. Think about how much you can work, how much money you can make to buy all the things that you never had. Think about all the pleasures of this life that you have access to through technology. Think about how happy you would be if you focused on you and learned to love yourself more. That's the lie that's told to us today. Don't focus on the spiritual blessings. Focus on the physical because there is an abundance of that that you can have today. You can get any of it. You can be a self-made person. You can go off and get anything that you want. You don't, need God, you don't need God's blessings and statutes. You don't need to seek what God can offer you to make you have that feeling of joy. And brethren, that's why we aren't singing with joys because we don't seek those things first. We don't seek the kingdom first, as it says in the New Testament. That's why we can seek, keep from singing because our treasure might be in the wrong place. Now, I'm not here to assume that your treasure is in the wrong place, but we need to stop and consider where our treasure is. And don't think that Satan isn't subtle in his devices to be able to do that. It says a serpent was subtle. He was in the garden as he is today. And you know, sometimes Satan can devour us a bite at a time instead of a whole big chunk at a time, or all of us at once. He may wear us down over time. And I'd like to share a personal story with you to illustrate that. Uh, when we're talking in this vein of putting our treasure in earth and things, anybody who knows me knows that I'm a pretty big nerd when it comes to video games. That's kind of a vice that I have. And early on when I was a child, uh, a game station came out that I had as a kid, and, and I, I played that thing left and right, and I probably wore it out until it pretty much could, could have caught fire. And it was, it was what I enjoyed as a kid. And so there's a lot of nostalgic feelings that I have about that. And you fast forward about 20 years to today, and, and I'm a grown man, or as like I would like to consider myself to be. And I have the ability to go back to that place of nostalgia, where I can go back and I find out that I can buy that same console that I used to have. And I even go so far to find out that there's a certain game that I used to play on that console as a kid that I can find. So I go to extreme measures, and I won't expose to you what those measures were right now. You can ask me later. But I go to those measures to get that particular thing and to put it in front of me where I can experience that feeling of nostalgia that I had as a little kid. And then when I turned that game on in my house today in 2021, and I saw the title screen come across the TV and I saw the music play, I was basically transported back 20 years ago and I felt the same feeling of euphoria as a little kid being there. So much to the point that the air conditioner, when it was on, and the, the breeze coming off of it or the breeze off of the fan, to me it felt like the breeze coming through the window as a kid off the shoreline for where I used to live. Now, that might sound neat to you, that might sound like a neat euphoric experience, but you know, the truth is, is everything I just described to you is pretty much the same thing that a junkie goes through when they're trying to experience the feeling of their very first high again. And it took me a little bit to realize that. And the point I'm trying to make is that Satan can sometimes take the most innocent of our desires, the most seemingly innocent of our desires and get us wrapped up in the earthen blessings that we have and detract away from the spiritual blessings because I've been in that position plenty of times where I've been that person that searched after those things and ignored the spiritual responsibilities that I have and the spiritual blessings that I have. 
He likes to use those innocent desires that we have and turn them into things that pull us away from the spiritual blessings that God has given us. He did that in the garden. It may have not been as innocent of a thing back then, or it might have seemed as innocent of a thing to Eve at the time, but he does the very same thing to us today. And that might be why we can't sing that song and we can't find that joy is because our treasure isn't in the right place. So what can we learn? Man has always been trying to fill a God-sized hole with world-sized pleasures, and it never works. Even in the very presence of God, and that's why I wanted us to, to latch on to that, that phrase or that, that idea that they were in the very presence of God in the garden, even in the presence of God, we can be more natural than we believe we are and desire worldly blessings while becoming oblivious to the spiritual blessings around us. So what can I learn from that? What can I learn from Adam and Eve's example? I don't need to think that just because I come to three assemblies a week or two meetings a year or one brotherhood meeting a year or every meeting within a 50-mile radius or two Bible studies a month or a Friday night fellowship, I don't need to think that just because I do all those things that I have enough to be the spiritual man that I need to be. I might be the natural man and not even know it. And I'm not saying that I'm here to judge your particular actions that you do to become that spiritual person, but I'm saying walk circumspectly and look around and make sure that you're not falling into that trap because Adam and Eve were in the very presence of God and they still found themselves desiring that natural thing. We need to understand that where our treasure is, that will be where our heart is also. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. You know, reiterating that verse, you think about the Christians that Paul was addressing here, do you think that they might have not thought that they were spiritual enough? I don't want to assume to think what those, what those brethren thought at the time, but maybe we find ourselves in that position where we, we think that we're spiritual enough, but then we might get caught off guard by a letter or caught off guard by a letter from the Apostle Paul or maybe a letter from somebody that we know and love and care about. We might find ourselves in that very same position. We might find ourselves in that very same trap. You know, one of my favorite movies, um, and I'm just, you know, the, 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 ner the nerdy references just keep going and keep going and they get worse and worse as it goes on. But one of my favorite movies has uh, this, this young kind of hotshot warrior that wants to go off and fight a war and do his own thing and he's about to make a really foolish decision and get a lot of people killed and a lot of people hurt. And there's this old, more wiser veteran standing by saying, you know, you don't need to do that. And, and the younger guy says, you know, I have no plans to die today. The old guy says, none do. No Christian goes off thinking that they're going to become that natural person, but sometimes it happens because we run off and we become a little bit too arrogant. Second thing that we need to consider is to secure greater joy in the spiritual, we need to be all in and poured out. And here's what I mean by that. How do you feel when people are halfway committed to you or when family is halfway committed to you? when they only partially commit to being your family and you desire that close relationship with them. It might be frustrating to desire that nearness to them, but, but they just don't want to put in the effort. You know, think about how that applies to our spiritual family. As brothers and sisters in Christ, as the family of God, we are called to love one another as ourself. Matthew 22 and 37 through 39 says, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as 
thyself. 1 Peter 1 and 22 says, Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. You know, while I would never dream of downplaying the importance of love, that we need love towards ourselves in this life, I would beg the question, have we ever given a great deal of thought of the love that we express to others and how important it is for us to pour out love towards our brethren? and towards those that we need to show it to. Notice that these commandments are all about pouring out love outwardly towards others. And the principle is to give of our love to others, and that we need to perform good works towards others. Hebrews 10, 24, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. So we're called to those good works to encourage our brethren and to do so alongside of them as we labor together in the gospel. But we live in a world where the emphasis is on your time. Or on my time. You know, make time for yourself. Make time for you. You need to learn to love yourself more. Live your best life is, is, the, is the phrase that I keep seeing on social media. You know, that's what it's all about. It's about focus on me. Don't worry about others. Just focus on you because if you're not happy, then nobody around you will be happy. I'm sorry, I don't know if I believe that. If we pour out our love towards others, I believe that's what makes us the happiest. The truth is that we can never love ourselves more than God loves us. But that mentality of being, being stingy in our attitude with our time and our love might cause us to be unhappy. It might cause us to not see the blessings, to not see the joy that comes from the blessings of God. And we wouldn't be able to sing that. And I believe that there's a balance to be struck, you know, because I would never say don't, don't take time for yourself. Even Jesus took time to rest. I would never say don't take time for yourself, don't take a little R&R, but I believe there's a balance to be struck and an extreme to be reached. And that might sound like a huge contradiction, but bear with me, I'm going somewhere. Uh, 2 Corinthians 2.15, this has become a, a favorite passage of mine lately. I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the Corinthian brethren there. I'd like to take time to notice that Paul says that he would gladly spend and be spent. He was happy to pour himself out. That word spend, or spent rather, means to be completely emptied. He was very glad to be able to do that for his brethren. It brought him joy to pour out that love to his brothers and his sisters in the Lord. So maybe there's great joy to be found in being that poured out Christian that gives everything, that can that commits themselves wholly to the cause of Christ and to serving their brethren. You know, opposite of that, if we're so focused on ourselves and we're selfish with our time and our energy and we buy into that idea of self-love, we might find ourselves being the most miserable of people because we're holding everything back from others that God says to give freely. Think of what uh, Jesus was quoted as saying in Acts 20 and 35. Excuse me, Acts 20 and 35. I have showed you all things... How that's so laboring, you ought to support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You know, we quote that passage quite often around Christmas time, or we hear it quoted a lot around Christmas time. And we use that to teach our children, and we use that to teach young people that it's better to give something than to receive it. It's better to give something of yourself to somebody else than to desire things to be given to you because you can cultivate that spirit of giving to others, and that's better for you. 
But you see, the world has convinced us to be Scrooges with our time, keeping in that vein of, of Christmas here, if you'll bear with me. They've convinced us to be that way with our time because our time is most valuable to us. How many of us would look at that story of Scrooge and say that that guy's happy because he's hoarding all of his stuff and all of his money? At what point in the story does he become a happy person when he gives everything up? We might adopt the same mentality with our time without even knowing it. And if we hoard all that to ourselves, we can find ourselves being that miserable person that hoards all of our time and all of our love and doesn't give it out like we're supposed to. And we can find that true joy in the Lord. Why? Because I'm spending the time and the effort towards you that I would have been doing for myself. And I'm, I'm fulfilling the command to love one another as my, or love others as myself. Mark 12, 31, and the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Philippians 2 and 4 says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So let's take that love that the world says to have towards ourselves and let's flip it and turn it towards others as the scriptures teach us to do. Last thing I'd like us to consider when it comes to finding joy in the spiritual blessings that God has given us, we need to ask this question. Is God's will constricting to mine or is it mine? What that basically means is, is the will of God constricting to my will? Is it holding my will back or is it exactly what I want? It can't be constricting to my will if it is my will. Jesus was on the Mount of Olives prior to his arrest, and he, he prayed this prayer in Luke twenty two forty two, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Not my will, but thine be done. And the Apostle Paul had this to say about the will of God in Philippians 1, 18 through 21, where he says, What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached? And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. This is a question I've begun to ponder a lot lately, and, and I hope I can get you to ponder it too because it got me to realizing some things. Do I treat the will of God like it's a tax? Do I treat it like the thing that I, that I pay lawfully that's there before me and I, and I take care of it and I hope that there's enough left over for, for me to have in my own life that I will be secure and that I'll be able to have enough for me? If I treat it like a tax then all it does is, is, is bring me guilt if I haven't fulfilled it. But when it's everything to me, I'm not concerned with what's going to be left over at the end. When it is my will, when the will of God is mine and it's not constricting to mine, I'm not going to be left being anxious or, or lacking in joy or lacking in any kind of happiness because I don't have enough left over for Jackson. Because the will of God is, is my will and I have fulfilled that and I am happy that I have fulfilled the will of my Father and I've done those things that he has commanded me to do. So does the will of God limit my will, or is it my will? You know, I, I don't want to keep attracting too much attention to myself, but I don't know any better example than my own failures. I go to work, I come home, I have responsibilities, I have blessings, I have things that I need to take care of that have been given to me by God, but my main concern is me. 
How much entertainment can I get? How much time in front of the television? How much time in front of the game station can I get? How much can I do for me? Because if I don't fulfill those things, I won't be happy. If we flip that mindset and say, I need to fulfill the will of God, it doesn't matter if I get my will, and I think we'd find ourselves in a lot better position when it comes to our mentality and when it comes to our happiness. Because the truth is we can never get enough of our own will to be happy. But if we adopt the mindset of Paul to live is Christ, we buy into that mentality that it's all in. That's what it's about. Let's read that again in Philippians 1, 20-21, where it says, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul said that to live is Christ. What exactly does that mean? Well, earlier in verses 16 through 17, he spoke of those who were preaching the gospel. Some were preaching it out of contention, and some were preaching it out of sincerity. But he focused on the fact that Christ was preached. That's what mattered. And what did he say? He said, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. The will of God was his will. He wanted that to be done. And he was so happy that that was done that he said it twice. He said, I do rejoice, yea, I will rejoice. You know, the truth is, is when we don't get what we want, we aren't happy, plain and simple. But when the will of God is what we want, we will be happy. Why? Because God's will be done no matter what. Nothing in the will of man can stand between the will of God. So one of the greatest enemies of our joy that we need to remember is our own will. And maybe you're here today and maybe your will has kept you from becoming a child of God. Maybe that's the one thing that's standing between you and becoming a Christian today. And I want you to know that there's no greater time than right now to do that. If you're here today and you've been sufficiently taught and you're ready to make that decision to become a Christian today, there's water ready and there are brethren ready to help you with that decision. If, you're being, if you've been bogged down by the world and there's difficulties that you're having and that you feel like you need the prayers of the church for whatever reason, we'd ask you to make either need known by sitting on the front pew while we stand and sing.